Hey everybody, it's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within and thank you guys so much for listening. Today I am sitting down with Nick Stumbo, the ex- Executive Director of Pure Desire Ministries International. And he is basically the person who has taken over for Dr. Ted Roberts. So you may know some some of those names in there. You know, Pure Desire, I would say, is pretty established in the sexual integrity space in Christian circles. Um, Dr. Ted Roberts has become synonymous with his organization and the whole subject at large. Um, Dr. Ted Roberts also created the Conquer series. So um, those are probably the three different uh, touch points where you may have been familiar with these guys and the people we're talking about. Nick was brought in in 2016 to sort of um, reshape the ministry to be known as a ministry and not just as Dr. Ted Roberts because he was getting older and it was becoming pretty evident that he was not going to be the, you know, the face of the ministry forever. He's done a fantastic job. Pure Desire has never been stronger. And uh, today we we got into that. You know, we got into a bit of the Pure Desire journey. Uh, we talked about why he got involved. And it is amazing how many of these high-level leaders in some of these prominent organizations had their own issue, got set free from the curriculum and the materials of said organization. And, you know, God just has has blessed him uh, with an ability to lead, to strategize, and has given him a chance now to serve and to work for the very ministry that saved his life. And so we get into his own story, how he recovered, what it was like for him and his wife to kind of do this thing together, and why they're so passionate now about helping other people in this area. Uh, I got to ask him one of my favorite questions, which is, you know, where do you see all this going? Are you hopeful for the church? Uh, Are you afraid of what could be a little while from now? Where do you kind of see all this going? And then we got into some practical things, just, you know, nuts and bolts of recovery and, um, yeah, and, and specifically extracting some parts from his own story. So I think you're going to find it really helpful. It's a very well-rounded conversation. We we do dig into the subject of community a bit as well. And Nick is just very easy to listen to. He's, um, yeah, very kind-hearted man, a really powerful story, and really one of the most uh, probably important leaders in this space currently. So uh, without further ado, this is my interview with Nick Stumbo. So here's the million-dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives, and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Well, I'm here with Nick from Pure Desire Ministries, and uh, Nick, you and I have been going back and forth. We uh, we actually had another time set, and we had to schedule a new time, and this one almost got derailed. You have a bit of a freak snowstorm where you are, so thanks for surviving all odds to make this happen, man. Yeah, we're getting six inches out there in April, which for Portland, Oregon is pretty bizarre. So if, if my internet glitches, you know, hopefully the <laughs> listeners can just be uh, gracious towards us there. That's crazy. I mean, I'm in uh, I'm in Toronto, Canada here, and we don't even have snow on the ground. I never thought we'd see the day where you'd have these two places reversed a bit like that. It's kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> My daughter tells me it's global warming, but I'm like, I'd prefer it was 80 degrees. I'll take that kind of global warming. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah seriously, seriously. Well, uh, we, we have a lot of ground to cover. Um, maybe as a starting point, I do want to I do want you to share your story. But um, maybe for people who don't know what Pure Desire Ministries is, or they're like, yeah, I've heard of it. I've done it. I've heard about Conquer Series or the Seven Pillars. Can you just give us a bit of a, an overview of, of the organization itself first? 
Yeah, uh, Pure Desire was started by Dr. Ted Roberts here in Gresham, Oregon. He was a local Foursquare church pastor and just realized if he was going to help the men in his church and community, he needed to help them with their sexual addiction issues. And so he launched the ministry, which was really based around two arms of, of a small group environment for healing and then a counseling experience for those that needed kind of that extra help to navigate through some of their issues and the trauma related to it. And so for a lot of years, you know, really that started in the 90s. And for a lot of years, they just ran it out of their local church. And then in 2008, Pure Desire became an independent nonprofit, you know, 501c3, here to really help the church navigate through this issue, because it's still very difficult for churches to know how to talk about it, what to do. And so we provide resources so churches can run small groups. Uh, we have a team of about 20 counselors that provide online video-based counseling for clients all over the world. Wow. And then we do uh, speaking and events, and we also have online groups for those that can't find a local church that's running groups in their area. And so we're really aimed at helping the local church. At, at the end of the day, that's the win for us is when the local church owns these groups for themselves and are running their ministry, and we're there to support, coach, encourage, and equip. And so uh, that's that's a quick snapshot of what we do. Obviously, people can see a whole lot more at the website and um, browse around a little bit what we do there. Yeah, we'll get we'll get into that more for for sure as well. But I think uh, what I really have always appreciated about you guys is that emphasis on the local church um, ministry, and it kind of makes sense that you guys were birthed out of a local church, and that kind of now, um, even though you're independent. Really, all of it is going back into local churches, obviously, around the world. So it's really cool. And you and I have this in common that we have a, a lineage of local church leadership in our lives. Um, you're a third-generation pastor, and um, I, I imagine that's probably where some of that passion came from. But uh, we also know, and my listeners will know after listening to so many interviews of people in this space, um, there's a story. There's usually a story of how we get into this kind of ministry to begin with. And I'm wondering if you can maybe set the stage a little bit with your story, Nick. How did, uh, aside from, you know, passion for local church ministry and obviously a skill set to be doing what you're doing for Pure Desire, um, what's your personal story that brought you here? Yeah, no one really grows up thinking one day I'm going to lead a sexual integrity ministry. Like that's my my dream job, right? Um, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, I grew up in a pastor's home, and like so many Christian families, we just never talked about sex and pornography. Uh, we had the one, you know, my dad had the birds and the bees talk with me, but after that, it was kind of a very hush hush thing that you figured out on your own, and so. I had a fairly typical young man's struggle with pornography, you know, finding stuff at a friend's house or getting to an age where I could buy a magazine now and then at a gas station and, and very quickly got into that binge purge cycle where I would consume pornography for a day, feel, you know, absolutely horrible, get rid of it, confess, repent, you know, just before God be broken. Okay, that was the last time and I'll never do it again. And, and basically spent 15 years promising, okay, that was the last time and I will jokingly say, I, I feel like I found a thousand different ways to fall into exactly the same struggle um, and, and took that struggle right into my marriage and into my ministry. And I, I think some of that mindset of, well, that was the last time is actually what perpetuated it because I really believed it. I was sincere in my faith. I was sincere about my marriage. I wasn't trying to live a, a double life where I hid all these things. It was like, no, every time that was it, I've gotten rid of it. Now I've figured out what I need to do. Um, only, you know, a month or two later to be right back there again, wondering what's wrong with me that I'm still struggling. And so um, I was 10 years into my pastoral ministry and 10 years into marriage when really the marriage was about to come apart at the seams because that was 
the one thing in my integrity, I feel like the church had taught me to do that to find freedom, you needed to confess. And so I would tell my wife that I was still struggling. And it because it wasn't in my mind, it wasn't about her, it wasn't her issue, it was something I was working on, I felt like she shouldn't be mad at me, she should just get over it. And we could forgive and move forward. Because after all that, that was going to be the last time. Well, as, as you might expect, after 10 years of telling her it was going to be the last time she didn't believe that anymore. She was deeply hurt and wounded and really ready to go because she didn't know how to be around the pain. And so that was really by God's providence where we were introduced to Pure Desire Ministries at a time when we deeply needed it. Uh, we went through a year of their program, a year of counseling as a couple, and then also a year of being in groups, both for me as the struggler and for her as the betrayed spouse. And that year was was transformational in so many ways. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, it's a one-year journey and then it's all over with, but, but really that year was kind of the foundation of what would come next. And so um, at the end of the year, we shared our journey with the church that I was leading. And because of that, you know, when the pastor can admit to his struggles and offer to start groups, it really opens the door for other people to say, yeah, me too. And I'd like to be in that group. And we watched over the next five years as this became really a, a, a deeply significant ministry in our church, impacting other men and women. And um, I wrote our story in a book called Setting Us Free and began speaking at some of Pure Desire's events. And then through that, um, when the need came for succession, uh, because in 2015, Dr. Ted Roberts was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease right. um, and has had some steady progression of that since that time. Uh, so in 2016, they asked if I would step in as the executive director and transition the ministry into the future from being, you know, a ministry known mostly as Ted Roberts to being a ministry known as someone here to help the church. Um, and, and based on what Ted Roberts started, but really now handed off to a team of us uh, that are leading the way. And so that was 2016 that my wife and I moved from where we were in Washington, Southwest Washington, down here to Oregon to be uh, part of the team. And have been loving it ever since getting to help others through telling our story and, you know, helping churches establish the same kind of ministry that we were able to, um, when I shared my story 12 years ago. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing. And, uh, and kudos to you because you've done a great job. I think Pure Desire is becoming recognized that way. And, um, Ted Roberts is way too legendary to be forgotten quickly, <laughs> but, yeah. um, but it's certainly, you're right. Like the ministry is outgrowing him. And, uh, and a side note about Ted Roberts as well, because I, I don't know if everybody, appreciates just how passionate he still is about the ministry and about the subject matter and um, he was going to do an endorsement for my book and I know he ran into some health challenges but he was so so kind and generous and supportive and um, really speaks to just um, who he is and obviously the ministry he's created. Um, so I wanted to ask you something because I, I guess I was just thinking about um, your story you know so here you are you, you've had this issue you kind of bring it into marriage and you talked about the binge purge cycle and I really resonate with that. Um, because it feels so awful in the moment after you binge that the purge, the purge doesn't feel insincere. As you stated, it was, it was genuine Absolutely. and you yeah. were telling your wife, this is the last time I'm convinced, honey, like I'm not going to do this again. I know how bad this feels. Why, why is it that, that people will still binge later on? Like, why does the cycle perpetuate when we sincerely think this is the last time? Yeah. Yeah, I think there are a couple of thoughts that, that go into that. One is most of us look at confession um, or repentance as the goal. Like James chapter five, confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. It, it, it seems like, well, that's the goal in the end. And if I 
if I just get it out and there's kind of this, I've, I've blown it again and I'm so sorry and God forgive me, or maybe I'm telling someone else, it, it does feel right and it feels good. And what we've been taught is like, all right, I did it. Now by the power of God, I'll walk in freedom. Um, only what we miss is I really believe even biblically, we're taught confession is a starting point that leads us into repentance. And repentance isn't a one-time event. Repentance is a way of life where we turn and go in a different direction. And the challenge is most of us don't know what it truly looks like to turn and go in a different direction, to, to truly walk in repentance. We just know, okay, I'm going to try harder not to do it next time. But yeah. that leads me into what I think is the second reason for the binge purge. And what, what was so revolutionary for me in that you know first year with Pure Desire was I was completely blind to the pattern that I was stuck in. You know, I, I really thought, and I think my Christian upbringing had taught me that a man of integrity was someone that could be sitting in front of a computer late at night, all alone, tempted to go to that website and look at pornography. And if they were a real man of integrity, they would get up and walk away and shut off the computer. Um, and, and we should strive for that. I mean, that's not a bad idea. Sure. But what I learned in the process is that a man of integrity is able to see long ahead of time how unwise that situation is. And they've learned not to be alone on a computer late at night, tempted to act out because they've observed their pattern. They know what their dangers or trigger zones are, and they take proactive steps ahead of time to to stay in healthy places rather than veering off into unhealthy places. Um, Because the other side of it, too, I think when we talk about binge purge, what I would look back on is feeling like I could do the right thing 95% of the time, you know, so I could have a good two months and, and things are great. But when there would be that one day when my mental state of mind was low, spiritually, I felt low, physically depleted, then maybe a temptation that I'd said no to 95% of the time, suddenly I'm saying yes to. And now I'm back into binging because I I believe that because I could usually make the right choice, I would always make the right choice when that's just not the reality of our human experience. I mean, every single one of us, we are flawed human beings. And sooner or later, we're tending towards bad choices. So I just had to learn if I was going to make bad choices, I needed to be able to correct them long before I was headed toward a binge. And that was all about recognizing the pattern, being honest about it with my group members. Hey, here's my pattern. And and then taking really proactive steps to address the pattern at the front end by like making group phone calls or having appropriate accountability steps versus waiting till I was at the tail end of the crash, hoping I could pull out at the last minute and not crash and burn again. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. That kind of um, proactive, preemptive, preventative kind of approach goes a long way. And nobody teaches that to us, right? Like, or at least we generally don't pick it up naturally. Like you have to kind of be in those environments where somebody's actually pointing it out or you're exposed to how terrible your patterns are. Um, I guess I'm I'm imagining like, and you, you mentioned like uh, that you and your wife both got help with that, which I think is fantastic and probably overlooked a little bit. Did you have to convince your wife to join like the betrayal group or was she ready at that point? How did that part unfold? Yeah, I was really blessed in that regard because I know for many men, it is a difficult, difficult journey because the wife is hurt and angry and she feels like this is your problem. You go fix it. I don't want to be involved. Yeah. Um, I think because of my pattern of confession, um, my wife knew quite a bit about the journey and the struggle. So on the, uh, obviously the negative side, she was very hurt by it, but on the positive side, she was pretty aware of the situation and the change that needed to happen. And so for us, I was actually at one of uh, a district conference in my denomination for pastors, 
when they brought in Ted Roberts and he talked about Pure Desire and they talked about this one-year program. And I sat there with my arms folded, looking around the room at 300 or so pastors thinking, I hope the men who really struggle are listening <laughs> because this sounds like a good deal for them. Yeah. Uh, right. Because I was so locked in my own denial and rationalization that I didn't think my struggle was that bad. After all, the last time was going to be the last time. It was never going to happen again. So I'm good to go. Yeah. Uh, but thankfully, my wife was sitting there with me at that conference. And when she heard this opportunity for pastors to get help and not lose their jobs, for her, it was like it was the answer to 10 years of prayer. Huh. Because she had been praying, God, I know Nick doesn't want this in his life. Help us find a way out. Because I didn't know what else to do. And so also a group for women, um, she was pretty eager to be a part of it. I, I think she still struggled with, you know, what, like, what will we actually do? Because I don't, I don't need to change. You need to change. Yeah. And I don't think it was until she got into it, she realized how helpful it was to have other women where she could process her pain, her betrayal, how to learn to trust, what to expect from me what was fair for her to communicate, what, what she needed to, you know, let me learn the hard way, so to speak, how to establish um, a recovery plan. If there was a relapse, I mean, there was so much she needed to learn. And for a lot of wives, they don't realize how much they can grow and how much they can be strengthened by a group for themselves, even if their husband isn't doing that well. So yeah, for us, like I said, we were very fortunate that just the way it worked out, we were both eager for, well, she was actually more eager than I was, you know, she's the one saying, we're going to go talk to them. You're going to go to counseling. <laughs> um, but because of that, you know, God really enabled us to heal together, which I mean, honestly, is the best way for it to happen. Yeah, that's pretty unreal. So you guys heal, you kind of have this year and both of you undergo, I, I would say it sounds like a transformation. Obviously, the marriage has gained some momentum. And now um, it's starting to happen in your local church as well. Why, why did you end up coming clean to your local church in a more public way? Is that, was that common practice or was it prompted or how, how exactly did that all take place? Yeah. Uh, saying it was prompted would be a friendly way of putting it because I was not planning to, um, I think like a lot of men, I still felt some shame around it. And even though we were much, much better, it felt like this is just too messy to talk about publicly. It's, you know, it's, it's just not something you should address. And I wanted to just I wanted to be healthy and move on. And I remember in one of my last counseling sessions with Dr. Ted Roberts, he told me, he said, all right, Nick, you're ready to share your story with your church. And I remember saying, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever be ready for that. Like, why would I do that? Yeah. But he asked me a, a compelling question. You know, Ted said, Nick, if you're struggling and you're the pastor and you've had, you've had all the advantages in your life of a healthy family and a good dad and good parents, and we're not perfect by any means, but I have a very stable background. And he said, if, if you have that and you're struggling, how many men and women in your church do you think are also struggling, especially those that have come from very broken, dysfunctional backgrounds? Yeah. And that was convicting me. It's like, wow, if, if this is a struggle for me, how much more for others? And, um, and so that, I think, with his encouragement and prompting was like, all right, I, I need to share this. And so with the help of, you know, he helped me write it up in a way that was appropriate to say publicly. Um, my elders obviously knew that I'd been going through this process. They were supportive of it. My wife knew. And so that, that was very important that on that disclosure weekend, that I didn't say anything that was a surprise to my wife or to my elders, because they'd already heard all that. And they knew ahead of time to what level I was going to share. And really, that was the key. I think I didn't, I didn't need to go into all the, you know, gritty details of my story. I didn't need to get detailed or specific but in a very broad way, I was able to stay, say, I've been addicted to pornography. 
here are steps that I've taken towards freedom and healing. Um, I, I've, here's how I'm asking for your forgiveness. And then really at the end saying, and here's how I'm asking for your help. Because yeah. I want you to help me start this ministry for men and women in our community who are struggling. Mm. And it was really important, I think, that we phrased it that way, that I want to help start a ministry. Because then the people who came forward were like, yeah, I'm here to help start a ministry. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, and, and by the way, I, I need it for myself first. Yeah. <laughs> but it really created kind of a shame-free way for people to respond and to, to approach me. And, and they, they were able to approach privately. You know, they could message me or come and meet in my office and say, hey, I'd like to be a part of helping start the ministry. Yeah. But then it would come out in the conversation that, yeah, I need help too. So it, it was just, it was revolutionary because when, like I said, when, when a leader is able to stand up and say, this is my story and here's how I'm getting help, it, it just opens the door for everyone else to realize, oh, it's actually safe to talk about this. They, yeah. they actually mean pornography, sexual things, sexual brokenness. Because for a lot of people, if, if you say like, hey, we're a healing church, we want to help you heal. So we have groups for your healing. And you keep it that general. I think the average person will be thinking, yeah, but but my issues are sexual. And we don't talk about that in church. That's taboo here. We don't go there. And yeah. so when they mean healing, they mean like healing from anger. They mean like healing from workaholism, you know, all the safe struggles that Christians can have. They don't mean healing from my deep sexual issues. And so that's why I think when we really addressed head on, like, we're going to take on this monster pornography in our world. And we know it starts in the heart and we have groups for you. If you're struggling with sexual things, we want you to find freedom. And when it was specific, it, I think just really, like I said, unmasked that shame that people carried feeling like I can't talk about this in church. Um, and it really, it just revolutionized the culture of our church. Huh. Now, I, I know you're going to have some leaders listening, maybe not even leaders of a church or an organization. Maybe it's just people leading their family. And the idea of this coming out in any kind of forum is absolutely terrifying. So I have to ask, did, did people leave the church when you made the announcement? Did your reputation change? You know, were you known as the porn pastor, you know, in your communities? Because I, I, I think what probably stops, I know what stops people even from getting help if they're not in a leader position is, you know, what are people going to think of me and all this kind of stuff. And all that, of course, is amplified when you're in a position of leadership in a faith community. I, I guess I'm just curious, were any of your worst fears realized after yeah. you came out with the confession? Yeah, I, I think it was really key, the timing of it, because if, you know, if I'd have done that at the front end, like, hey, I've been addicted to pornography and I'm going for help and I'm just starting, like, I think that could really create an environment where people don't know what to trust, what to believe. There's all kinds of questions. But when it's happening at the end of a, a year's worth of counseling and groups and the elders are standing up saying, we believe in Nick and my wife is sitting right there, clearly happy and engaged and ready to start groups for wives. Like that communicated so much to the church of like, this is a church-wide thing that we're on board for. Yeah. This isn't just some personal issue Nick had. And yeah. so I think phrasing it that way really, really helped. Um, I did, you know, Ted Roberts warned me, he said, you know, when you share your story, you'll, you'll probably have you know, five to 10% of your people will leave because they don't want their pastor to be that honest. They, they want you to be on the, the pedestal of perfect Christianity. Yeah. Um, and if anyone did leave because of that, they never, to this day, I don't know of it. And, and we weren't that large of a church. So I think I would have heard, yeah. but instead what, what I found and what I think is so often true is that vulnerability led to vulnerability. Wow. That when I was authentic as a leader, it led to greater authenticity in the church that rather than leaning away, people leaned in. Yeah. Because I, I think the human heart hungers for a place where they can be real, they can be seen, they can be known. Um, and it did, you know, for our church, it developed a reputation because we had groups specifically for 
men and women dealing with pornography. And we started to have other churches that would send people to our groups. And from one of those people, I heard that someone in their church had called me the porn pastor. Like, oh, isn't that the church with the porn pastor? <laughs> and at first I was like, no, oh, what is like, what does that mean if that's my reputation? But I thought if it means that people know we talk about this subject here and it's safe for them to come and get help, then I'll take that reputation. Because I think by and large in Christianity, we just think this isn't something you're supposed to talk about. And too often in churches, the message is go somewhere else and get your healing. Yeah. Like go away to a counselor or go away to a retreat center, go away to some mountain escape for six months and come back healthy. And then, you know, if you are healthy, then we'll celebrate with you. But what that does is perpetuates a message within the church that says the church isn't safe mm. in this area. And so that's why I think it's so key when churches launch groups, when leaders are able to talk about it, because that message of you can find healing here, you belong here, um, is so crucial to people feeling the grace of God in their lives and not feeling like continually they're an outcast. So I, I think that's what happened with our church culture. And, and yeah, there were, there were some challenges of, boy, what's our reputation around town? But at the end of the day, like I said, I, I felt like there is such a need in the hearts and minds of men and women in this area that I actually became thankful for that reputation because I honestly, I think most more churches need to be known for that and not kind of this cleaned up image of all, we all look good and sound good. And so people feel like, well, I don't know if I really relate to them. Yeah. Yeah. So a huge part of your, your solution or the solution of pure desire is sort of this tandem, right? Of communities and obviously gain the counseling as well and the professional help. Why, why the synergy, why does that synergy, I guess, exist between those two? Like, you know, and why not just emphasize one over the other? Yeah. You know, I remember that too. Is, you know, if we have a deep struggle, I think many of us feel like, well, that's probably when you need counseling and, and you go to someone who's an expert and in private, you, you get all this help and they fix you up and send you back. And while that's a nice idea, and I obviously believe wholeheartedly in counseling with the amount of counseling we do at Pure Desire, but I think there is a danger there. If we only go to an expert and have them help us, we may not break through shame because we feel like, well, the only person that really knows my whole story is someone who I paid to hear my story and to help me. But my peers, the people around me, if I told them, they might still reject me. And so what's so powerful about that group environment is you are walking through this healing experience with a group of others that are on that same journey and you're learning to be real. You're learning to tell parts of your story you maybe never have before. You're yeah. delving into your past. You're delving into your sins. You're, you're learning how to, to live an honest life. Yeah. And as you live in honesty and you find that that group of your peers still loves you, welcomes you, accepts you, that, you know, that's the grace of God, I think, communicated to us in a very, very real and practical way that actually is significant in changing our brain, in changing the way we think, because it delivers us of the shame and we're able to actually face these things head on. And then in my mind, the counseling piece becomes having that expertise, you know, we find that for about 30% of people that do a peer desire group, the counseling is really needed because of maybe the depth of the trauma in their, their background, maybe the level of dysfunction in their marriage or their current relationship, um, or just the, the, the persistence of the pattern that they're stuck in. Sometimes it can be hard to see on our own or even in a group. And yeah. so the counselor is kind of that, you know, that surgeon with a fine tuned scalpel that can go in and say, you know, do you realize when this happened in your past? Can you hear how it created this lie that you've been listening to? And when you fall into pornography, 
you see how that lie is being perpetuated and they're they're kind of going into those places and with that expert view helping you um decipher what really needs to be done so i think they work in tandem that way but we always say to people the starting place is actually community mm. because as you know it's been said a lot in addiction circles that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety the the opposite of addiction is connection yeah it's that place of, of knowing and being known where we don't need to run to something else to cope with our negative thoughts emotions and feelings so having that group connection and and really a a committed group that's walking through an actual process. You know, that's the other side of it is I think too many churches have what they would call accountability groups, which is basically men or women sitting around saying, did you mess up this week? Yeah. You know, which is little more than a performance group of how are you performing? Did you perform well? Oh, great. Good job. Yeah. And did you perform poorly? Oh, you relapsed, man. We'll pray for you. You know, and then they say, go try harder. Yeah. And that doesn't really break us free. The kind of community we encourage churches to implement is really based around a high commitment level to the group and to one another, to high confidentiality, and really going consistently through the material so that as you're, you're growing and learning together, that's where change happens. And, and yes, you are still reporting each week how you're doing on your journey, but it's much, much more than just, am I performing well or not? It's all about what am I actually learning and how is God uh, changing the way I think and renewing my mind in this process? Yeah, I love that. And are, are groups typically a year or do they go longer? Are they, can they be shorter if somebody, you know, heals, I don't know, more quickly than the rest or how, how does that part look? Yeah, uh, most of our group workbooks are written to be about an eight to 10 month experience, um, doing one lesson a week, every week and walking through that process of change. Uh, for some people, one time through is enough. It creates a foundation and um, what I also try to be clear to say is it doesn't mean it's going to take you 10 months to change your behavior. Mm. We find that for the vast majority of people in a group who are committed to the process, they're seeing tremendous behavioral changes within the first 60 days. Yeah. But at that point, it's, it's kind of like having wet cement that if, if the behavior changes and I think, oh, I'm good to go and I drop out a group, the yeah. truth is my brain hasn't had enough time for that to become lasting change. And so, you know, we say all the time, we're not here just to stop a behavior. We're here to change the way you do life. And, and a change of life takes time. In fact, in, in a lot of our material, we talk about it being a two to five year process. Yeah. And that doesn't mean everybody does group for five years, but it means taking that long view of lasting brain change and doing life differently. It will take time and it will take repetition going through the different seasons of a year and figuring out how to make healthy choices versus unhealthy one. So that over time, health just becomes my new pattern. And I'm not just living in this place of trying to white knuckle it and not go back to my old behavior. I'm actually free of the need of that old behavior because it's no longer part of how I do life. So that's where the longer group cycle really gives people time to solidify uh, those changes in their life. And for a lot of people, we encourage um, part of your healing is going to be paying it forward. It's going to be giving back to others as, you know, as God does something in you, he wants to do something through you. And so we say all the time, who makes for the best group leader? Well, the best group leader is the one who says, man, God's been changing my life. I'd like to walk through the group with you and see how God will change your life. Not because I'm an expert or because I'm fixed, but because I'm passionate about this healing that I'm discovering. And I, I'm just going to help facilitate this process with you. And so for a lot of people, it will mean going through a group and then helping lead a group. Uh, because as many listeners know, there is a difference between learning something for yourself and learning something to the point that you can help others learn it because it just, it'll, it'll help us in our own healing when we lead others. So I always encourage that side of 
Um, until you're at a point where you can tell your story and really help lead others through a group, I think there's still healing that God wants to do in your story. So that's that's kind of a bit about the the group process. Oh, that was a fantastic answer. Yeah, um, lots of parallels with what we do here. Our, our coaches are all people that have been through our system. And it's funny in the group coaching calls, I always um, quote, use the same quote that, you know, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection. I think that point drives home. Um, and the other thing, I, I hope the listeners heard what, what you just said about wet cement, because um, I still remember I had one client, um, he was very faithfully attending everything that we did, really involved. And then I didn't see him for like a month or six weeks. And, um, you know, anyway, he, he showed up probably about the five, six week mark, really solemn, you know, and I was I was expecting the worst. Um, and he basically was like, you know, I went I went three weeks and I just thought, man, I've never gone three weeks in my life. I made it. You know, I'm good. Like we did Great. it. I don't need to go back. Go. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, obviously, you know, he he had a relapse and it, it wasn't anything terrible, but he he just he re- realized, oh, OK, I'm. I'm not quite as ahead as I think I am. It just, it feels amazing, but there's still a hardening that needs to take place. A really, really helpful analogy. And I hope people are hearing that. Um, you're not necessarily signing years of your life away here. It's just, you want to make sure that, um, yeah, that what you're doing is actually being established. And I think that was um, that was really helpful, Nick. So I want to switch gears a little bit because uh, we, we mentioned this earlier. You mentioned specifically that the the real emphasis of Pure Desire is to strengthen and empower the local church. And I, I guess I'd love to hear a little bit more of your heart on that matter, because obviously, you know, as the executive director, you're pioneering that thing. And I, I guess I'm wondering why, why not just create some epic counseling center? You have 20 counselors on staff, and you certainly have, you know, the resources and the curriculum to kind of pull that off. Uh, why, why emphasize the, the local church at all, um, let alone as much as you guys do? Yeah, you know, I think a couple of things there that really I, I believe the local church is, you know, the hope of the world. It's what God left to be his hands and feet to a broken and hurting world. And, you know, when you think of the scope of this problem and the the size of the struggle that the people have and the percentages, it, it's just it's unrealistic to think that any ministry at any size will really make much of a dent in that if the church doesn't become the safe place for people to find hope and healing. And so that's that's just my conviction is that every week there are millions of people that go to church and Satan has convinced them that their struggle is somehow uniquely bad, has made them uniquely disqualified. And if they ever tell anyone about it, they'd be you know removed from church. And so they sit in silence and secrecy. And even if, like we mentioned earlier, if they go somewhere and get help from a counseling office or a professional, and they're maybe finding traction, but they don't feel safe to talk about it in church, they're still going to be stuck in that shame message that says there's something uniquely bad about your struggle. When the truth is that maybe a majority of people around them to some degree share that struggle. And if there could be openness, uh, then churches could really become that safe place that, that people see, Oh, I, I can get healthy in this area. You know? And so that's one of the ways I try to encourage churches to think about this is that this is a discipleship issue. You know, every week we try to help encourage people how to be discipled in prayer, scripture reading, relationships, finances, emotions. Well, why not our sexuality as well? Because the truth is God made every single human being as a sexual being, male and female. He created them in his image. And every sexual being made in the image of God was born into a fallen world, which means every single one of us in our sexuality has encountered some kind of brokenness, whether things done to us 
things done by us or just things that we've encountered in a fallen world. And, and we need to be discipled how to think, act, and behave in a godly way in that area, just like we do everywhere else. And so I think when churches see it that way, that this can be a discipleship issue, not just like discipline or you know consequences for people who are messing up, then it gives us the freedom to say, we want to help everybody and not just wait until someone has the courage to come forward and say, I'm really struggling because we're, we're all broken. And if we can embrace that idea, then I think the church can be that healing place for sexuality, just like it is for relationships and finances and so many other things that we see scripture really is the answer for. Yeah, that's really powerful. And, um, and I, I, I really do echo those sentiments. It, it, this is probably one of my favorite things to ask people who are in a position like yours, Nick, where you're you know, part of a, a large organization that has pretty deep roots in this space. And um, in, in many ways, you're kind of, uh, I would say you guys are pioneers. You know, I think a lot of us look up to you guys and are paying attention to what you're doing and trying to learn from you. Um, when you kind of look ahead, you know, with kind of, I guess, your visionary goggles a little bit, where, where do you see all this going? Are, are you hopeful that the local church is going to latch on and start warming up to these conversations, um, you know, that people could maybe preemptively get a little bit more help and instead of just kind of getting mired in these addictions and having to kind of grasp for straws to get the right kind of aids? Or I, I don't know, where, where do you land on all this when you, when you kind of look ahead? How, how do you feel about it? What do you see coming? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. You know, I, I think there are definitely... Um, a lot of factors that will determine what the future looks like. Um, but it's an area where there is just so much work to be done. And I think any movement in, in a positive direction can be encouraging. Um, it, it's definitely an area that the churches can be hesitant to address. Um, the reality being most pastors and leaders receive zero education about this in Bible college or seminary. Right. And so they often feel ill-equipped to lead it. Um, and then add on top of that, that, you know, probably 50% or more of pastors have some kind of sexual brokenness in their own story, whether it's current or not, even if it's in their past, but they've never talked about it, it's hindering the kind of ways they want to lead in this area. And so I, I think that's the future in my mind is really, we need to recognize that leaders and pastors are also sexual beings and they need to encounter sexual discipleship as part of their training, whether for themselves or how they lead, because until leaders feel comfortable taking people into this area, it's, it's probably not going to change much. And so uh, we're trying to have a lot of conversations with Bible colleges and seminaries and, you know, ordaining councils to just say, how could you integrate this into your training and don't make it a discipline issue. Just make it a, again, a, a way that you're helping disciple men and women to become healthy because healthy leaders will replicate healthy churches because right. they'll, they'll teach on what they know. They'll, They'll lead groups into areas that they feel comfortable with. And so I, I think that's a major, major shift that needs to take place. Um, and I'm, I'm, I am encouraged because I think there is a, a growing awareness of how our past impacts us and that it's not spiritual to try to misquote the Apostle Paul and say, oh, I, I'm forgetting what is behind, you know, and straining toward what is ahead. Because when, when Paul says that, he's actually referring back to his past successes and saying that's what he's trying to forget. He's not saying we should ignore our past. And there are a lot of discipleship curriculums that are starting to address the, the wounding and negative messages that we get from our past, from our family of origins, just our growing up years. Because the truth is every single kid, no matter how great their family was, grew up with moms and dads who were sinners, moms and dads who had their own brokenness. And the truth is 
broken people tend to perpetuate brokenness on other people. You know, sinful people sin against other people. And so when we were growing up, we were all wounded and hurt and sinned against. And our brain processed that as trauma. And, and in order to deal with that trauma, we learned ways to cope with the pain. And for some people, maybe it was eating. For some, it was food uh, shopping or spending issues. And for others, it became sex or pornography. And I think there are curriculums like, you know, Emotionally Healthy Church from Peter Scazzaro and the Genesis Process from Michael Dye and even curriculum like um, Rich Villadas's book, the, uh, oh, no, I'm totally blanking on the deep, uh, deeper life, deep, I'm, I'm blank on the name. You, you probably, some of the listeners know what I'm referring to, but, sure, but there's sure. more Christian material coming out along these lines of, we need to see the way our past has impacted us so that we can invite God into those broken places, experiences healing and redeeming in a way that really transforms the negative messages that have been driving us. Because yeah. when that happens, and this is what we say a lot about Pure Desire's approach, it's effective. I mean, we're focused on pornography and the sexual side of things, but these principles could be applied really to any struggle or to any issue that people have. And so I think as the church just has a growing awareness of that, how our past impacts us, it lends itself more towards the kind of healing that you and I know people need to really get free from pornography. So that it's not just stop it, try harder, read your Bible more, but actually walking in some effective principles of change. So that that's what makes me hopeful that I think we're embracing this um, kind of process of deeper change. And as that's embraced more wholesale in the church, I think then groups like Pure Desire um, will be easier to, to, to happen within the church because it will fit into that mindset. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And I, I love that. Um, yeah, I love that answer. So I want to ask, I'm just picturing uh, kind of a, this moment that you had shared earlier. So you're at this pastor's conference, you know, you're in a room with 300 other pastors. Your wife is there. There's Dr. Ted Roberts talking about sexuality and sexual integrity. And he's talking about his one-year course. Your wife is getting excited about it, can see the potential here, is feeling hopeful. And you are maybe warming up to it, uh, as you kind of said earlier. Why did you almost not do the Pure Desire course or curriculum? You know, I think part of it is I grew up in an environment where counseling was seen as failure. That if you need professional help, you must really be bad. And so in my mind, like I said, the rationalization structures I had said, oh, it's not that bad. I mean, yeah, I struggle once in a while, but who doesn't? And after all, last time was the last time. So I, I think I'm pretty good to go. I don't need that much help. And the idea of going to like a year of counseling and paying a lot of money, it felt like admitting I was a failure. And, and that was really hard to come to grips with it, that it could be possible that I could both love Jesus, be sincere in my faith, be gifted by God as a leader, and be struggling with an addiction to pornography. Because in my mind, I think I saw those two things as being mutually exclusive. Right. You know, we tend to categorize like, well, either I'm a good person or I'm a bad person. I'm either a good Christian or a bad Christian. And if I'm an addict to pornography, I'm a bad person and a bad Christian. And so part of the process was just being able to let go of some false ideals, that it is possible to concurrently love the Lord with all my heart and mind and soul and strength the, the best way I know how to, and be still battling with some sins that have gotten hold of me. And I may need help from others to get out of them. So I just wasn't at a place where I could understand that message until we got going a little further into it. And honestly, I'll tell this part of the story real quick. Yeah, please. It was really helpful that they offered an intermediate step. Like 
if you're wondering if this process is right for you, go and talk to this guy. And it was a guy in our district that I knew. And I sat with him and I basically spent an hour telling him why I didn't need the TED program, as I called it. <laughs> and then he said, okay, that, that sounds good, Nick, but let me ask you three questions. He said, number one, how long has this been a problem? And I said, well, like over 15 years, it you know, started when I was a teenager. He said, okay, number two, how many times have you tried to stop? And I kind of laughed. I said, well, every time was the last time. So I've tried to stop like hundreds, if not thousands of times. And he said, okay. And number three, is it causing you or people you love significant amounts of pain? Mm. And that's where it got really real because I said, yeah, I, I think if I don't change, my wife will leave me because she's that hurt. Hmm. And he said, okay, Nick, put those three answers together. It's been a problem for a long time. And you've tried repeatedly to change without success, even though it's causing you and people you love significant pain. Yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, that's a pretty good description of my life. <laughs> and he leaned forward and that's what he said, Nick, that's the clinical definition of an addiction. Mm. And I, I remember sitting back, like he had just punched me because it felt like a cheap shot. I'm like, well, well yeah, I'm a pastor and I love Jesus. And I'm trying to hide it. But it, it really was what I needed to kind of get through the fog to see, oh, there's, there's something going on here that's just deeper than me, you know, stopping a behavior. And that's, that's not to in any way say, hey, I'm not responsible. I've got an addiction, like it's some kind of disease. I was 100% responsible for my choices. But it did help me understand the depth of help that I needed and the sincerity with which I needed to address this struggle. Because once I was able to kind of see that as a label, it, it just opened my mind to saying, I, I need a lot more help than I've been willing to admit. That is so powerful. I think I think this whole interview was worth it for what you just shared. That was amazing, Nick. Thank you. Um, I, I think um, I think this is probably as good a place as any to wrap it. I know I could ask you a bunch more, um, but I'd love for people to just know where they can get plugged in because uh, one of the things you guys have done very well uh, that I've observed the last few years is just making your resources very accessible in you know digital uh, formats obviously you guys do in-person stuff as well um but i'd love for you to just share the, the best way for people to to start plugging in with pure desire if they haven't already yeah um we mentioned it at the beginning but the website puredesire.org is where we host everything um we've got weekly podcasts and blogs free tools uh, we do some streaming events just really anything we can do to try to help and equip both the individual who's ready to get help because sometimes that's the case that, that you're at a church where there's just nothing available. And so you're an individual that wants to find a group or start going through some material or to get a book or listen to a podcast. We've got that. But then on the other side, we also have help for churches, how to launch groups, how to start groups, how to train leaders um, and resources available for them on the website. So again, all of that would be at puredesire.org. And we'd love to connect with uh, you any way that we can. Amazing, amazing. Nick, thank you so much for your time and, and thanks for all you're doing. Like I said, you've done um, an incredible job there just uh, transitioning the ministry and really um, continuing to just pioneer in a space that really needs people like you guys and like Pure Desire. So thank you again for your work and thanks for your time today. Yeah, glad to be a part of the podcast and thanks for what you're doing. Keep keep doing it. And for everyone listening, you know, you are a part of uh, the, the word was used pioneering. And I think right now, anyone that is pursuing healing in this area is, is pioneering a work more than we realize. And one day we're going to look back and just see how we've been a part of changing the world as we've allowed God to address our story. So I would just want to say to everyone, keep going. You're not alone. And God is going to do more in you and through you than you could ever imagine. Wow. That's good. Amen. Amen. Nick, thank you so much, man. 
Well, there you have it. That was um, the first person we've had on here from Pure Desire Ministries. Um, we've been talking with a couple other people and we may get more of them on, but I'm sure you can see they're, they're doing a really good thing here. They have a very compre- excuse me, comprehensive approach to recovery. And, uh, and obviously, you know, Nick is uh, just a, a, a knockout, uh, really incredible leader and a dynamic communicator. So uh, I want to thank you guys for listening. And I want to encourage you to go and check out Pure Desire. Go and check out their groups especially. But um, if not the groups, I mean, they've got tons of resources, books and workbooks and just courses and, and different resources that I think are going to help you in your journey. And, you know, we obviously do our best to resource people here with the podcast and our newsletter. And we have a couple books as well. But there's there's just no such thing as enough. And the reality is some stuff I have, um, you know, it's not going to cover everything, right? And they might cover some stuff that we don't cover and vice versa and have different angles and a different way to go about it. And um, I just want to encourage you, you know, if you're still looking for that place of full freedom, you got nothing to lose by checking these guys out and everything to gain. You just might find something that could really change your life. So I encourage you to go check them out. Uh, Other than that, guys, thank you for listening. I hope you have an amazing day. And I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. That way you get daily content delivered to your feed here to help you recover, to help you grow and become the man that God gave you, that God made you to be rather, one who is living with confidence and integrity. Much love to you guys. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey everybody, it's Sathya again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.